Welcome back to the podcast. We are the Princes of Cinema. Today, we are joined by a special guest, Shantane Bowen. You may know him from Astronomy Club, Netflix, or uh, the improv team we were on together. For That's about right. Two years. Fluffy, baby. Fluffy. All right. Fluffy. And this week, we are watching two films by the great Alfred Hitchcock Rear Window and Rope. That's right. Let's dive in, boys. What, do you want me to start talking about Hitchcock? Yeah. You know, we yeah. Can, we can, how about we start with this? Shantane, you, you said Rope was your favorite Hitchcock, and we were going to watch another classic one, which we either hadn't seen or hadn't seen in a while, which is Rear Window. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what about Rope do you love so much? I love Rope. I'd never seen, I, I, I watched it in college. And the thing that struck me, I was very like heavily into theater. And the thing that I really uh, enjoyed about it, it was where I was very impressed with, it was all shot in like one take. You know, like he would shoot 10 minutes at a time. Um, and I love Jimmy Stewart. And I don't know, I just was like, the mechanics behind it, that the fact that they were able to do, you know, this is like before, P.T. Anderson, where you have, you know, Scorsese, where you have, like, 20-minute tracking shots with, with uh, you know, all done in one take. Um, but, yeah, it just, it just, it felt like I was watching a play, which it, it was a play, but it, but it didn't feel stagey to me. It didn't feel, like, stuffy or, you know, it felt real. It felt like I was a part of the movie. Yeah, yeah, I think that totally comes through with this. Um, there were there was a point in it where I don't know. How, it took me too long to recognize that these were single takes. Mm. It's kind of like how elegantly the camera was moving between characters. I should mm-hmm. say let, we, we could start off with a little synopsis too. The film opens on the murder which is interesting in its own right, that you immediately start first images, uh, a guy getting strangled and... Strangling this dude. And then everything else is the unfolding after that. Right. Them trying to cover up the crime. Yeah. Them them trying to sort of flaunt it for this headmaster. Yeah. They kill a guy and a classmate of theirs and then they throw a party where everyone has to eat dinner <laughs> on top of the table where he is buried and yeah and you've got two guys to start off I think Brandon is the one who is just a pure sociopath and who's the other guy Philip Philip the the weakest link, Philip. Philip, I, I don't mean to offend anybody, but you could a character like that would be named Philip. There's just That's true. Let's speak truth. <laughs> you got to name the nice yeah. guy Philip, who has conscience issues. Like, did we really just kill a guy? Should we be okay with this? My name's Philip. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Philip is very drunk. So then eventually, I mean, my impression of the plot is that this dinner party plays out and you, you, you learn to discover who exactly the dead man is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, he's like a former lover, right? He, he used to... He, no, he's like dating a girl who this guy, who uh, he used to date, she used to date, and then now right. she's with this new dude. But he invites over another classmate who used to date he who used to date the girl. That was very confusing. There, he was trying to rekindle the ex. So yeah. If, you know, if you break up with someone, then you don't care if they die. I mean, in a way, it's a romance. He's trying to bring these two lost souls together. But he yeah. does that. He does that by strangling somebody. 
well, yeah, you have to get rid of the one, the the guy she's with. Now, are we ever told? Can I just call him Jimmy Stewart because he's in both movies and he's just <laughs> he's he's always Jimmy Stewart, so it doesn't matter his character name. Jimmy Stewart rolls into another film, mm-hmm. and is it is it clear what his real job is? Because clearly he's playing detective here, and he eventually finds out there's funny business. Mm-hmm. He was their headmaster when they at their whatever like boarding school. Right, or, but is he is he retired? I mean, it's not. He might just he's just a guest. I guess that's the point is that mm. he's. He's learned, but he's just a guest, and obviously he's he's philosophical. Like in the, in the end, when he comes back in after everybody leaves, he calls them out on killing the guy. I mean, I love that. I love that shot where they do that, where he's holding the rope and he's talking, but you just see the rope. Mm-hmm. And then the guys are found out. They wrestle over the gun. Um, I feel like like a play. It. There's a lot of development. It requires some patience, but then it, I, I think the last scene, extended scene, makes it. That's kind of true about most thrillers and most plays. Is most Hitchcock too. I mean, that's the same thing with. It's kind of like you're going towards the final scene, um, and may, that's my uneducated commentary on Hitchcock. You know, it always just just hang in there for the last scene. I'm not. I don't know. Yeah, I think like with this the whole the whole murder and the motivation for it was based around this their headmaster's odd theory that there are superior and inferior beings and that every so often a superior person can murder an inferior person right and this was released in 1948 which i think gives it and they overtly address Nazis in this as well. Mm-hmm. So, I think that this is on some level some sort of criticism of Nietzsche or philosophy departments in these kind of intellectuals who dabble in these theoretical conceptions of morality. And it's a little unclear whether or not it seems like you know Jimmy Stewart or Rupert is a philosophy professor just well. just Jimmy Stewart Bill for the sake yeah. of ease Jimmy <laughs> yeah Jay James James Stewart he oh there is yeah there's some other guy Thomas Penson de Quincey who wrote The Art of Murder which is showing that you're superior to someone and now people are like, well, this is the consequence of this. I mean, hmm. I, I agree with that. Some of the, 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 the obvious irony is that when they're having, in the middle of this cocktail party, this philosophical conversation about the thrill of murdering and it's okay in some ways, and one of the guests is very uncomfortable by that. I mean, I think Jimmy Stewart is being sincere, but he, regardless of the backstory... Um, who's writing and this and that in the play itself it's clear that he can have these sort of theories sitting on the couch but there's a there's a gap between theory and practice when he thinks an actual person was killed he says that much he just says you know you guys I mean it's completely different when you're theorizing about suffering and killing Versus, wait, this happened in this room tonight, and all of a sudden, this is not okay, and I'm going to fire my gun out the window to call the cops. By the way, I loved the ending. Because you think maybe Jimmy Stewart's going to, maybe it's going to get real gnarly, and he's going to kill these guys. But instead, he just, like, fires the gun out the window, turns them in, and there's that. I, I think this falls into a category of five or six other movies I can think of where the final scene is a couple minutes long. And there's no dialogue where they're sitting there pouring drinks, waiting for the cops to come. And you're just sitting there soaking. I think of Big Night, which is a cooking movie between two brothers. They have this big fight. They're Italians like the DePiros. And so they fight. And then they come in the morning and just silently make eggs and breakfast. And or I think of The Descendants with George Clooney like 10 years ago. He sits on the couch with his two daughters after this family drama, Hawaii drama, and they just watch. This, I, 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 I absolutely love that dramatic effect that after all this stuff, you just have this silent scene. But it makes you think about 
the difference between all these theories, all these talks, say whatever you want on the couch, but when it comes, when it hits the road, um, what's the phrase? Rubber hits the road? Does that mean like when, rea- rubber. when reality strikes? Which is kind of a car analogy for all of life, which doesn't, I don't think it's a great phrase. I've never, I've never given it that much thought. Right. But now it's... Now that we're it, thinking. Yeah, it's like, let's process this. The rubber hits the road. It makes me think of, you know, that kind of thing. Right, like life just got serious. Like you could get into an accident, an idea, but then... Yeah. When it actually... I, I mean to say this, is like when, when real life is very different from our theories, our opinions, those are all at a distance. That's what I mean to say. Yeah. But isn't the rubber always touching the road? Like, unless, unless it's like a flying car. Anyway, we've gone too far. But is the car driving, is it in motion? You know? That's a factor, too. Oh, so like hit, yeah. No, verb. Action. Mm. Mm. I also will say, I love, I love Big Night. And I just want to give a shout out to Big Night. Because I love Stanley Tucci. And that's like a... Well, isn't it uh, Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub? I know they're in Jersey. Yeah, if, some, if it's in Jersey, it's Tony's. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, Bill, I cut you off. Um, I think the uh, I laughed a little bit when Jimmy Stewart switched and was shocked by the murder. And I'm not sure if that was the... I think that was probably the wrong effect. But there was something about him being like, oh, this thing that I've believed and preached my whole career about how you can murder people. With Now that I've seen one murder, I no longer believe this at all. There was something about it that... And maybe I think that is somewhat intended here, where uh, he is just... It's supposed to make this type of philosophizing look foolish and stupid. It's like literally this guy has no idea what he's talking about. And he's just kind of talking out his ass about these theories. So then when he's presented with just one single example, uh, then his entire worldview crumbles in an instant. Which Mm. to me... Just like the idea of someone losing their whole perspective in it immediately. It's just like, whoa. Like, there was just kind of like a whiplash feeling to it. Um, I would say that plot, that plot term, but also the dialogue, there's something like a play mode, you know? And, and like, dialogue is, is what sustains a play. Staging, sure. But the dialogue from sustained scenes does feel different from dialogue from regular films where it's seen real quick cuts there's something even when they're talking to each other you kind of feel like this is play dialogue i'm in a slightly different mode than watching a movie Mm. does that make sense yeah for sure i think you even see it between the two films we saw there's i guess fewer monologues in the in your window but because it's a yeah. movie movie, not like a, a play turned into a movie, you know, or yeah. at least in that style. I think, I think, go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm not sure if you guys, didn't this originally air for like television? Or what, did it have a theatrical release? All I read was that it was um, one of the five lost films or five Hitchcock films, which he sold the rights immediately after to his daughter or gave them to his daughter and so there were it was like 30 years before anybody saw this movie i mean since its initial release so it was for the longest time not available okay along with four others and i don't know if that was out of hitchcock wanting to just protect some of his property rights over his you know instead of selling everything that's a whole theme too Mm -hmm. in music and comedy and you know how much do you sell your material or hang on to it yeah i was reading that um you know about the process of making the film and how they had to use like sliding walls and have electricians like you know move certain props out of the way to make room for the camera you know panavision cameras like huge and then put everything back 
perfectly while they're still shooting. And that upon completion of the film, Jimmy Stewart was like, yeah, I don't think the film worked. We spent most of our time figuring out and working with the camera rather than the actors. Hmm. But put that in like the Jimmy Stewart voice. <laughs> in your mind, the Jimmy your Stewart mind. voice of the mind. Yes. Everybody has it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all got a little Jimmy Stewart in our mind. <laughs> I mean, wow, wow. That is, the camera work in this is really cool, I think. You've got these 10-minute scenes, which are... Or 10-minute uninterrupted shots, which I guess is the length of a film reel. So they're mm-hmm. literally pushing this to the length of what they can do, choreographing mm-hmm. everything. And I was thinking that it's... There were a few moments where we break the sort of flow of the movement of the camera, one being when you're looking down the long hallway, the maid is coming back and forth, mm-hmm. uh, getting closer and closer to the sub- to the trunk where the body is kept. Um, there's another one where they're where they ask the headman Jimmy Stewart uh, what the perfect murder would look like. Mm. And he's describing it, and the camera is just following those places in the room of which, like, how they would have carried this out. Yeah. So it's left up to the imagination of viewer just to do this. Um, and I think, like, those shots, there's just, like, kind of like an elegant choreography to all of this. And, and in those, you really kind of see this line between the theater and film where Mm -hmm. uh, I think there were certain moments where it almost seemed like you were supposed to think you were watching a play being filmed like Hmm. acknowledging that there are sets and everything my my takeaway is like you see Hitchcock stretching this technique because he's going to the max of what a film reel could handle. Now you have movies, you know, like Birdman, I think had two, it had one cut. It was two long scenes. Um, you take 1917, which has like three or four scenes. Like some of this, and I, my only takeaway from that is not people just pushing the envelope. It's that the way a film is shot does affect the whole movie. Now I wouldn't just mm-hmm. sit down. I'm not always paying attention to camera angles, but it's true is when you push the envelope, everybody notices. In those recent movies I named in this one, it, it kind of affects the whole thing. And it affects yeah. the experience. Like We get used to movies just having continual scenes. Um, when you don't do that, the medium itself is kind of subtly altered. I just think that's worth noticing. I don't have a big, deep point. Yeah. I loved, I, I mean, just because you mentioned, I was going to mention it, but you mentioned it first. Um, yeah, 1917, this, uh, I feel like this technique that Rope used, that Hitchcock used, it's like the precursor to a 1917, where the entire movie is shot in one take with the exception of one um, scene, which I, I saw it in the theater. I, uh, you know, if you can see it in a theater, it's, it's definitely an experience because you feel like you are in the movie, in the battlefield. And with rope, I feel like, you know, the way that the camera is positioned and how it's used, I feel like I'm in the party. Like, I'm one of the party goers um, trying not to get strangled. Yeah. It, it's immersive in that sense. Very much so. It is how it felt. It felt like an immersive play. That's sort of the experience I had. Yeah. Like, what, what is that thing called? Sleep uh, No More. Sleep no more. David did sleep no more. 1948. Nuremberg, 1948. Um, yeah. Very different from uh, Rear Window, though. I, rot- I watched Rear Window first. Um, and my, actually, my girlfriend was like, wait, you like this more? You like Rope more than Rear Window? And I, 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 I kind of acquiesced. I was like, no, maybe Rear Window. I go back and forth. I flip-flopped. But Rear Window is, to me, and we can fight about this, is brilliant. Like, the whole movie is just, 
the camera work, the f- the fact that like you're just in this one room the entire time, mm-hmm. but you're like spying on different people, and you're playing detective, but you can't move, right? Like you're just stationary, so you're just using your mind like bone collector. Um, sorry, I reference a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, it was like really cool. And then Grace Kelly is like a, a, a hag. No, I'm kidding. She's gorgeous. Let me um, let me talk Grace Kelly real quick because I, I think we could go to the theme of like you're stuck in place, you're watching, like that's certain. But I think too, like I'm hearing like your girlfriend's like, come on, you like Rear Window, and you're like, well, I also like Rope. That's going. I, I notice this more and more as Grace Kelly is like in every scene trying to seduce Jimmy. It's just like, don't you love me? Come on, let's commit. Come on. And she tries on a new... Sorry, that's... Shh. Hey. You're... Phoebe. There you go. You're beautiful too. <laughs> she uh, she has a jealousy plot line going with Grace Kelly. Sorry about that. No, that's a... I mean... I, it's just that she she tries on a new dress like every scene to try and but it I don't think it's just hey you have this really uh, attractive girlfriend as part of the plot he's being drawn in to this whole detective work which he's not officially employed for and she's trying to draw him in to be like come on I'm like like we're at this point in our relationship when are we going to commit I feel I, I I like that there's it's not just she's not just a cheap foil there's a, there's he's being drawn between which which are you Mm-mm. paying attention to? I'll also say this. Can we talk about her intro? What an intro. She's like Bam. casting a shadow on him. They got, they're got they not even filming them. They're just filming their lips. It's just like, let's just watch. I was like, let's wow. Look at these lips. Wow, wow, wow. I want to say this too. Quick thing. Although this was, even though it's on a set, supposed to be happening in Chelsea, where you all are kind of near... Grace Kelly's a Philly native, Philly's pride and joy. And I actually was the chaplain for two years at the hospital where she was born. Then it got shut down. Wow. It was bought by rich people, and they're going to turn it into condos. Well, they're going to tear it down and turn it into condos. But she is kind of like, in Philly, everybody mentions Grace Kelly. And I was like, who is that again? I don't really know. She sounds (laughs) old-fashioned. And then I saw this movie again. I said, who is that? I looked it up. Grace Kelly. All right. We should be proud of this. Oh, yeah. It's the best thing to come out of Philly besides Rocky. <laughs> and Dr. J. And Philly cheesesteaks. Meek Mill. Anyway. Uh, yeah. And, and, and was this... I, I'm not sure if this was her last movie she did, but she after this, she didn't do many movies. She married some loser, uh, I think the Prince the, of Monaco. Monaco, Morocco. Monaco. Something. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's Monaco. I, I say Monaco out of just sheer disrespect. Um, but yeah, not only just beautiful, like really good actor. And I was, you know, this is like my third or fourth time watching Rear Window. I didn't know. I was just like, wow, she's really like she's not just like wearing the dress. She's working the dress. She's like hopping up fences and climbing over stuff and like sneaking through windows and doing Aikido rolls and a ball gown. <laughs> she's not just like, you know, something to look at. She's like got actual skills. This is like a precursor to Tomb Raider here. So yeah, I man, I'm having a hard time figuring out which one is better. But anyway, sorry. I've I've said too much. I mean, I think with Rear Window, I'm just, I, I went back and rewatched the first scene again just to kind of get a sense of how they set us up. I think the big connection between Rope and Rear Window, besides Jimmy Stewart, is the limit, limited location aspect of it. Rope mm-hmm. around like this one place the whole time. And in. In Rear Window, they're showing, like, these intro scenes to the people around the courtyard, which is literally around the corner from where my friend lives. <laughs> in the village. Humble but brag. They, was that was that filmed on location there? I don't... I can't imagine. Okay. That had to be a soundstage. Yeah. Yeah. But still. Because, because my girlfriend said so. Um... 
So the camera is filming all of these people in the rooms, and then it slides back. You like see the thermometer, or, and then you see Jimmy Stewart is asleep. And then we go back to the thermometer and like then start watching everyone again. And then it comes back to Jimmy Stewart. And you know, you've got this upset uh, composer. You've got this couple who sleeps on their uh, fire escape. <laughs> Which, by the way, Philadelphia, South Philly, people were very well known in summertime, especially kids sleep out on the porch steps. It was like you'd wake up, like your cousins are right across the street. There's a smell of baked bread in the morning. That's, that's, that, that's city life, okay? You're st- wait, so, so you're sleeping outside because it's hot? And it was before AC. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you just grab a pillow, you grab a porch step, your cousins are doing the same thing. Makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah. And did, then, did. And then, I think most importantly, then they show the woman doing her ballerina. Right, the, the, young, stuff. the young ballerina. It's very she, important. So I think my point here is, I think that Hitchcock is saying, before we judge Jimmy Stewart for sitting there being a peeping Tom watching everybody, he's going to show us everyone around the neighborhood and mm-hmm. say, see, you like this, didn't you? Or you were curious on what's going on in all these people's lives and would watch it given the chance. Yeah, it's true. Like Some people may have a certain sickness to voyeurism, but this is just saying that people that live in a city, this is a fact of life. It's like mm-hmm. you, you see your neighbors through windows. Yeah. Or in and the courtyard. Or you hear their voices. And they're like little TV shows, you know. Yeah. It, what else is he supposed to do? His leg's broken. He can't move around. You know, there's no drugs or anything. Like, he's got he's to watch people. Except for that oh, Grace Kelly else. drug. That's She was kind of offering anyway. And, uh, his salty, and that salty woman who comes over and just, like, lays one, like, zinger after the (laughs) just gives him massages and tells him and kind of mothers him a bit i think her name is uh, what is it stella yeah yeah of course it's stella it's new york in the 50s that's right oh and of course how could i forget miss lonely heart yeah miss lonely well also perry mason is that perry uh, Raymond Burr, Raymond Burr is the guy. He's the ba- He's like the quote-unquote villain. He's the murderer. Uh, he's the murderer. Spoiler alert. Yeah, because I because I was looking at, I was like, is that Raymond Burr? And then I was like, I had to I had to use Google. Sorry, um, and I was like, oh my god, it is. But he's he doesn't have the big beard and like the law books and stuff but yeah Perry what else was he in Raymond Burr help me out he was the Munsters right no ooh no different guy I'm looking at a photo of him now where do I know him from Perry Mason okay Perry Mason is it TV Perry Mason? movies. Yeah, there were 26 Perry Mason TV movies okay but you're you're well educated in media I'm not I'm just a I'm just Bill's friend, so I don't even I don't even know who Perry Mason is. I'm looking up I'm looking it up now. I'm feeling just she'd let you know. That's the only they did. It's it's I only watched the first episode. It's okay. It's very atmospheric, but not a lot of uh, substance. It's mm. the guy from the Americans. Um, you know, I I should probably know his name. He's a good actor, but whatever. He's not in Rear Window. He wasn't good enough to be in that movie. So, Bill, you, Bill, you, you have thoughts. I feel like you're. I feel like we're sort of like. We need to let you speak your mind. We got a podcast callback here, which is the second film that we've seen that has a helicopter hovering over sunbathing women. Which at the beginning, when he's like on the phone telling the guy how he broke his leg, being like, I don't get it, my cast off for another week. Um, and, and he's looking, and there's like girls throwing 
their towels over the edge of the building. And a helicopter hovering low to watch. I almost feel like La Dolce Vita had to have been influenced by this, right? Could they both have the same idea? Or wait, when was La Dolce when was it? That was in the 60s, right? Yeah, it was 1960. I mean, I, I, I think we've been so, discovering this as we keep as we keep going through movies. We discovered, I think there are a lot of nods between directors. I think that's clearly going on in a lot of these circles. Mm-hmm. And Shantane, yesterday, or last time, we watched uh, Jaws. Uh, Jimmy Stewart wants to be able to help or intervene in some way. But is physically unable to. Mm -hmm. And in Jaws, you know, he's afraid of the water, so he won't go into like rescue people. There's that dog. I love it. What's her name? Phoebe. (laughs) Phoebe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every time Bill speaks, Um, she gets upset. (laughs) I have a way. I have a way of riling him up. Uh,. Bill, you had, speaking of dogs, you had a very gentle, lifelong dog, Duchess, Golden Retriever. She was a worrier. Not a, yeah. Oh. Phoebe has a best friend in Vermont named Wiley. He is seven-month-year-old lab with a little bit of poodle, and he is 85 pounds. And she just lays on top of him and howls. Because he won't chase her enough. So she's more like, no, I don't mean to say the wrong thing, but she's more like the dog that gets lowered in a basket and killed in the film. Yeah, well, I, I mean... She's more Grace Kelly to Wiley as Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, that's more apropos. <laughs> but yeah, he, Raven, Raven Bird killed that dog. I'm just Sorry. talking size. She'd be about that size is what I'm saying. Yeah, a little bit longer, but yeah. No, you're okay. right. Very killable. <laughs> so... The film, basically, it, like, makes you think, okay, is is uh, Jimmy Stewart losing his mind because he's been trapped in his house just peering into the business of other people, or is he on to something? Uh, and we kind of just, like, alternate between those two throughout it's the whole film. It's like a psychological thriller, but it's not psycho, where... Which is, just to give a spoiler alert, I mean, Psycho's really messed up where he, you know, the guy murders this woman. He turns out he's keeping his dead mom's corpse in the basement. I, Psycho, of all the Hitchcock films, like, gave me the chills at the end. I was like, ha! Ah! Whereas this is more of what you would say, Billy DePiro, because you said this to me. This is a psychological thriller. It's about murder, real murder, because Hitchcock always deals in murder. But you said this. This was a slow burn. I don't know if you were referencing a cigar or a workout, but you said this was a slow burn. Can you tell me as a listener, what do you, what do you mean by that? For, what does that mean for you? So for me, in some sense, I see this as an opposite plot of rope. Hmm. Where rope, we start immediately with a murder first frame. This, it's unclear whether or not there's a murder until, like, you know, an hour, 40 minutes in. Because I, I had seen this before, but it had been a while. And you're just like, is he putting these pieces together? We've got this friend from the war who is now a private investigator, detective, and it's just like, Okay, you're being annoying now, telling me all your theories. You sound like you're crazy. And by the time Grace Kelly's climbing into this guy's window when they've given him Thorn Thorwald, uh, when they've given him this, like, meet me at the hotel command, mm-hmm. I'm like, wait a second. Are they committing the first crime that's happened in this film? You know? And there is a certain thing that is a criticism of them. Uh, two, while all of this is going on, you've got Miss Lonely Hearts about to overdose on pills, you think. And they're so wrapped up in, like, whether or not this little fun scenario that they've created, you know, they've once, for example, when the detective tells them that it wasn't a murder and that he got all the evidence of, like, she went upstate and all these 
like all the receipts lined up. They were bummed out because they were really hoping they were onto a murder here. So I think there's a certain type of criticism of this, you know, maybe what kind of like true crime podcast obsession that <laughs> has become all the more like people want something to be going wrong in someone else's life on some other level. Uh, but eventually we do find out that it was happened and they were right and confirmed, which I think is what I mean by slow burn. The, the, the answer is up in the air. Right. And that's part of, that's a different kind of thriller. It's one thriller to be at a cocktail party and you already know the verdict that these guys killed. It's another one. I feel like Hitchcock is, is obviously going after the same thing. He's going after suspense. I think more than characters, he's a director that's going after plot. I, again, not 100%, 0%, but I think it's more plot than character for the sake of thrill. I asked you when we watched Jaws, like, what do you, Billy DePiro, really want from movies? You know, what are you even looking for? And we had at least talked about the subject of sometimes movies are just fun. There's like, it's like a ride versus always like, let me meditate on uh. themes and humans. Like sometimes I think Hitchcock does that some, but it's, it's a lot of just like a thrill and he, and he does it in different clothing. I think every one of his movies is sort of a variation on suspense and that's fun and it's scary and that's why he's famous. Yeah. And he also has great camera work, that wandering camera. Um, yeah. But that's my opinion. Yeah. What, I, not to dredge up the past, but did you guys like Jaws? Did you feel like it was a classic movie? I've never seen it, and I have no interest in seeing it. It always seemed corny to me, but I, no disrespect if you enjoyed it. I think we who have seen it, we, we were... Bill was cautious. He thought that might be the case, but it actually held up pretty well for being a thriller. Yeah. Mm. It was. It was better than I thought and more complicated. In some ways, very simple, but mm -hmm. interesting characters. The camera work was really great. And okay. I'll watch it. And there's like oh, direct, there are like overt Hitchcock references in it. Mm. It was definitely better than like Harry Potter 1 through 7 and 7B. It was better than those movies. What isn't, though? <laughs> I mean... I was a softball, you know? Yeah, it's a little boy with a stick. Um, that's all that movie... That's all those movies are. He has a scar in his head. I could do that. Anyone could make that movie. Um, but, I mean, am I yeah. right or wrong? Like, is Hitchcock deeper than my impressions of him? I'm totally open to being wrong. I think yes. I mean, I'm happy to make my pitch. Let's do this. I think Boom. that he is he the subject of his uh, psychological thrillers are deep psychological distortions that are real and rooted in actual unrecognized social collective thing we participate in, such as we are all voyeurs. He like takes he takes real truths and does it, and it's not just the techniques of oh he made me scared here it's like he's actually digging into something whether it's philosophies that lead to awful unintended consequences when actually realized or it's i think i think that he is judging us as voyeurs and he's saying you are a voyeur See, don't you like this so much? And he's also judging us as like, hey, like rich people with cocktail parties can also commit murder. It happens. He's. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I feel like he's a brilliant director and he, you know, master of suspense. I don't know if he's thinking that. I mean, I don't know enough about him, but I'm going to say that I feel like the way he operates he is trying to craft a suspense that will scare people, thriller that will, you know, shock and awe and whatnot. And maybe the philosophical stuff kind of fills, it's, it's like 
a way to move the story along, but his ultimate goal is like, how can I be innovative with this camera and really, you know, mess with people's heads? Because if you go back to Rope, that's based off of uh, Leopold and Lowe, which is like, kind of, I don't know if it's like the first true crime movie, but, you know, it is based off of like two uh, University of Chicago students who end up murdering their classmate and, you know, get caught. Um, but yeah, I guess, I don't know. I have to, I have to think about it. I don't, when I think of Hitchcock, I don't think about like, oh, what is he trying to say with this movie? Or what is he trying to say about the audience or us? I always go into it like, did this person do it? Or, <laughs> um, you know, like, oh, look at this cool camera work. I guess I did notice more of the philosophical element to it with rope, but I feel like that is the crux of, that. that's the linchpin that holds the whole plot together. Yeah, and I think maybe my point with this is more that I think the, the fact that they're able to be scary or resonant in some way is mm. more the fact that he puts his stories well. And he picks mm. something that corresponds to something true, rather than he is uh, writing some sort of social commentary. It's mm-hmm. more like more about revealing human nature. I mean, there's there are also things like Psycho and some of his films had have to do with what he thinks are odd, odd sort of distortions. Which I think mm-hmm. can be seen critically now. I know in the, uh, the the documentary Disclosure, they kind of criticize him for being obsessed with trans people or anyone who engages in any kind of cross-dressing. And he had somewhat of a fixation on it. But, I mean, Vertigo is one of my favorite Hitchcock films, which we didn't watch, but there is a certain perspective through which he takes his characters and then... And it's like a statement about the nature of art itself and the way the mm-hmm. relationship between the director and the, the way that you control. I don't know. We could talk about Vertigo another time, but there's a lot. I that, have to see. I have to watch Vertigo. I haven't seen it, which is kind of weird. It like just keeps changing. And it's what do you awesome. it's like three hours in, and it's Jimmy Stewart, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what you want to hear. Yeah. I think it's only two. I think it's only two. Okay. Reasonable but I think we're probably at the point now where we, we're going to give our final reviews. Final reviews. Cool. So I'm so. going gonna, gonna to give some personal, some personal bias. I, for some reason, this is a really shallow statement. Um, but I like summer movies. I like summer. It's my favorite season. So, um, you know, take Rear Window, like when the opening scene is like everybody's outside in summer, I automatically kind of get drawn into that movie. Um, I found every Hitchcock film to be thrilling, yet with different ways of arriving at that thrill. I think I've said that enough, and so I appreciate him for that. I, I think you're right. Bill, that there's thoughtfulness. He's obviously a genius, so he's not just playing with little techniques to get you to thrill. I think he's always thoughtful. Then again, you're also a very thoughtful person, so maybe you just treat everything thoughtfully. And that's a compliment. I'll take it. Um, I would just say I, 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 uh, I love these films. My, my, my last kind of takeaway is... I see them always more as just like these are fun films rather than something I sit down and they're summer films in that sense Um, I also think just a comment on sound quality I think it's fitting that with Sean Tain as our guest I think it's fitting that we got dog because not perfect sound little dog noises (laughs) girlfriend in the kitchen clanking things like to me that's like this is a This is very cinematic. It's like what we watched. And I want to say it's fine. And it's actually good. It's very Hitchcock. Oh, gosh. Yeah. One of us will be dead by the end of this podcast. (laughs) Or just the internet. Let's hope not. Oh, canceled? Oh. I'm actually working on a horror film about a guy being canceled. 
but that's all I can say about it because I don't want any of you listeners stealing my my idea. Um, but yeah, that's 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 the ultimate death. Bill, what do you that's think? Awesome. I think we saw two uh, sort of revolutionary visual styles in each of these. Um, I had watched some of the Truffaut and listened to some of the Truffaut and Hitchcock discussions. I guess Truffaut had said that if you, for some reason, got rid of sound and had to go back to just the visual pictures, there's like three directors who would have been able to keep their jobs, and Hitchcock's one of them. I think he knows how to construct a story, and I'm just surprised that there, there is also to Hitchcock just a sort of mood that I like to put on, almost like it's a smoking jacket or a robe. I feel like I'm just kind of like brought into this world where I'm, where I feel like I'm both in my mind and in my body. He's going to physically scare me. I'm going to feel tense when I'm seeing Grace Kelly rummaging through this guy's apartment and Jimmy Stewart can't do anything about it. And then I'm also going to think about like the, the whole kind of obsession of crime and trying to punish people or figuring things out. I think that these are, yeah. I think Hitchcock's up there for me. He, he's like one of up there for favorite directors. It's coming to mind for me too. I don't think he's as good a director, but it's another Philly special as M. Night Shyamalan. It could be fairly immersive, like body and mind. I don't think he's as a genius in the same way, but Shyamalan's... What? Well... No, I'm joking. He's, he's terrible. No, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just saying he's immersive. That's not a value statement. It's experiential. It's like uh, I'm covered in this film as I'm watching it. Anyway, you go because you're the guest of Honor. Um, Hener. I mean, Hitchcock is one of my, you know, top five directors. You know, I would put him up there with like Scorsese. Um, you know, he's just. And actually, funnily, like one of my favorite directors besides Hitchcock is Sidney Lumet. I don't know why, but Hitchcock, I can always watch Hitchcock or Lumet. Um, but these two films, I mean, they're classics. I mean, you, they, and they hold up, um, you know, and the acting is, is believable. Um, you know, even though I've seen them many times and I know what's going to happen, I'm still like, it's definitely a re they're both rewatchable i'm sucked into the story and the drama um and the jimmy stewart of it all isn't he you mentioned lamette who did 12 angry men right yeah wasn't jimmy stewart in that no that's henry fonda oh same yeah same same dude though <laughs> they're both same guy um I mean, excellent. If if you haven't watched that yet, that is a classic. We were made to in seventh grade, right? Wasn't that part of our... We we have a common grade school education. Ah. Holly Roser Grade School, Steubenville, Ohio. Go Cougars. The Cougars. Cougar Pride. Woodside High School. Go Wildcats. Wow. Public school. Who's shooting at us? <laughs> Big cats. So, um, yeah. Our big takeaway, I mean, at the end of all of our discussion, Bill does the rankings. He's the real, he's the judge. He's the ranker. He'll be the, the judge, judge of this. So, yeah, so this far. Is something you've imposed upon me that I have. <laughs> <laughs> so far, our, our podium is La Dolce Vita, Seventh Seal, Rules of the Game, Jaws is not on the podium, and Charlie Chaplin is still in orbit because we're going to watch more of his films to properly evaluate him. Bill? Just, just, just tell it to us straight. I think uh, of these two films, uh, Rear Window works better for me. Okay. Um, I think Vertigo would have been a clean, maybe gold medalist for me. Oh, wow. But wow. Rear Window is good, but sort of the conceit of it, of how it's like claustrophobic in some way, makes me... And so <laughs> there's like a tension to it that feels almost like oppressive, which would not give me a gold medal for it. 
I don't know. I don't want to be held to this. I don't. I hate this. Let's put it as the silver medal then. Let's put Hitchcock. He doesn't beat out La Dolce Vita, but he beats out Seventh Seal. Yeah, I think that. All right, we're gonna do Hitchcock, and we can even come back and see if we could bump him up with some vertigo. Damn, y'all rough. <laughs> that was that man put his heart and soul in that movie. Well, he didn't get it. <laughs> Didn't get a silver, <laughs> silver medalist. Wow. Yeah. It's not me. It's Bill. Okay. He's Italian. He's going to hold La Dolce Vita in like the, 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 the podium, top of the podium, as long as he possibly can. The movie yeah. with the breadsticks? <laughs> and all kinds, of, all kinds of behavioral issues. But, oh, man. But it's like fancy 1960s Rome behavioral issues. Oh yeah. It's a generational film. I think it's more of a commentary on social life than this is. Hitchcock and the is. The truth is that it is just a matter of when you watch something too. Right. Mhm. Well, this right. has been good. Yeah, this has been pretty good. <laughs> Except it's... for the part where you stab Hitchcock in the back, but <laughs> I gave him a silver medal. That ain't nothing. That's second place, baby. <laughs> Fellini. Fellini. Hot, hot Hollywood, a nice contentious battle. It should it is, be. Anything is, to keep it hot, we're keeping it hot. If his name was Giuseppe Hitchcock, <laughs> you would have given him all the medals. The whole plate of Gabagool. Gabagool. Well, thank you, fellas. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, thanks for joining. This was fun. Yeah. Great picks. These are fun to chat about. And, and if cool. this if this actually has some legs and keeps going forward we should we should have sean tame back because I, I feel like he took sides with me against bill a little bit and not every guest does that so we should invite him back bill. <laughs> yeah that's right two against one like rope um okay <laughs> all right i gotta go walk the dog but uh thank you guys again this is really fun i had a good time thank all you right. for letting me watch some hitchcock with you it was great all right. All right. Thank you, everyone. Peace.